0: The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Well, if you would find your place in your Bible today in the book of Hosea. We started this last Sunday, and so we're finishing up the part of chapter 1 and going just barely into chapter 2 today in a message that's called, There is Still Hope. Now, Hosea is a really interesting book because the, the first three chapters, at least, are kind of arranged like a, like a double-decker sandwich, so to speak. Because last week, it was mostly just a, a narrative. It was setting the stage. Here's the story. Here are the players in the story. Here's what happened. God spoke to Hosea, told him to basically go find an unfaithful wife, have unfaithful children, because he was going to have to actually live out the message he was about to bring to God's people. It was a very strange beginning. So here's the double-decker sandwich that I was referring to. There's a narrative. Then today there's a message of hope. And then right after the message of hope, there's a message of judgment. And then right after the message of judgment is another message of hope. And then after that, there's more narrative that kind of gives more detail to the story. So it's, it's kind of a, like a mirror, so to speak. And, and so the first three chapters set the stage in that way. And it's, it's, if you don't know that, it might be more difficult to follow because uh, you think... Gosh! After last week, the story sounded so terrible just from the beginning. But then today, it's a much more hopeful message. But then the next next passage is going to be about judgment. So, uh, if you're if you're not sure the the flow of the prophecy, it could cause you a little bit of confusion. But I thought of a story that I've actually told this here before more than once. So I'm not going to bore you with the whole story. Uh, if you've not heard it, I'll try to give you enough detail so you can uh, you can catch up. But when I thought about today's message, and by the way, it's only three verses, only three verses today, but the hope that's contained there in contrast to last week is profound. And so I'm thinking about there's still hope. There, there, there is still hope uh, even in the midst of what seems to be challenging and difficult. So I thought about this story that happened to me uh, 20 years ago. And so. What I'm referring to is when I went with three other guys out to Yellowstone National Park and went camping and uh, having worship services out in, in the trails and handing out gospel tracts and that sort of thing. And then, you, if you've heard this before, you know where I'm going. The The last day, and we saw some amazing things while we were there, the very last day we're taking this hike, we round a corner and there's a bear standing in the middle of the path. So... If you haven't heard that before, that's the main detail you really need to know. We were on foot, four of us, and we come around a corner and there's a bear. And I was second in line. This is the other detail that you might find interesting. I was second in our group. So there was a guy in front of me, my friend, my, one of my best friends, Brett Marlowe, who we've pray, been praying for. He was there, and he, he was the cameraman. He, he took some amazing pictures. But he was in front of me, and then me, and then the other two guys. And we're walking along the path. we round this corner, and I see the bear. And I say, Brett, there's a bear. Because I didn't want to talk too loud, right? Um, and then he didn't hear me. He's looking at his camera. And so I grab him by the back of the collar. and say, Brett, there's a bear! And he looks up, and the next thing I know, I'm in front, and he's behind me. So... That wasn't very nice. Uh, I guess he thought he could get a better picture of me getting mauled if he was not in the front of the line. So there's a bear standing there, and at this point, the bear stops what he was doing and looks at us. And we're stopped looking at him. And it's about 20 yards, I suppose, between us and the bear. And all I can remember is this bear video that we had to watch before they would allow us to hike into the woods of Yellowstone and pitch a tent and camp, we had to watch this video. And on that video, it told us several things to do in case we encountered a bear. And one of them was, uh, you know, make a lot of noise as you're hiking. Like, so they we actually had um, bells, like jingle bells, uh, attached to our backpacks. So as we walked, we were just sitting there making noise uh, because apparently a bear, if they hear something like that, will wander off and and they'll hear you before you hear them and you'll never see them which was ideal never see the bear right well so that was one thing the other thing was uh, speak in a in a monotone voice don't don't have real high pitch or low pitch just speak in a monotone voice and don't run don't run because a bear can run 35 miles an hour not gonna outrun a bear you just don't have to you don't have to be the winner you just have to not be the slowest so trip somebody, knock them down, whatever. Just don't be the last person, right? Okay, so we're, we're thinking about that. And then the other thing was, if a bear is walking toward you and you can't run, don't turn your back. And they said to uh, walk backwards slowly, and then if that doesn't work, wave your hands like this. Okay? I don't know why. Maybe that's, you know, that's enough to scare a bear away. But anyway, the the principle was uh, you'll seem taller than you really are and that will send them the other direction. So all that's running through my mind. There's a bear standing there. We start walking backwards slowly. The bear starts walking toward us. So we're not gaining any distance. We're just moving. And so about that time, I remembered that one piece of information, wave your arms. So I waved my arms. As soon as I did that, the bear stopped this was so bad, stood up on his back feet to turn around, okay? So he pivoted on his back feet, turned around, and started walking the other direction. And I thought, oh, hallelujah. Uh, There's three hikers on the other side coming toward him. So now he's he's caught between us. So he turned around to go away from us, but then he got stopped by them. So at that point, he turned around again and did like this. Like, where do I go now? There's people on both sides. I thought, like, great. Now he feels cornered and threatened. That's awesome. And so he goes up the hill around us, comes back down on the trail behind us, and walks the other way. It was the most amazing thing I've ever seen because I thought, you know, all I had on me was a knife. And I'm like, that's just going to make him mad, and I'm going to die with a knife in my hand and look really stupid And not to mention, I'm not going to, you know, it's going to be bad. So the bear goes around us, goes the other way. Everything uh, has a peaceful resolution, except for this one, one detail. There was a boat at the other end of the trail. So we never planned to hike there and back. We planned to hike there, get on the boat, ride the boat back. That was the plan. So we get to the end of the trail. And it's about 6.15 in the evening, got about an hour of daylight, and uh, we walked down to the boat ramp, little launching place, and there's nobody there. That's odd. Why wouldn't other people have this brilliant idea of riding the boat back, not having to walk? And we found out the last boat left at 6 o'clock. So at this point, we're stuck, and there's a bear between us and where we're ...going to get back to our vehicle. So now, not only uh, is there a bear that we have to go back past, but there's less time and darkness is approaching. And so, I mean, I was, I was, ter- I was terrified. I was getting sick to my stomach. So, long story short, we went back. We, we almost ran- jogged back and uh, tried to get back as quick as we could. Never saw the bear again. But we did encounter two guys who needed to know about Jesus. And so we basically shared the gospel with them all the way back to the car. So this is why that story is important to me. Not because I got to see a bear and I didn't, uh, didn't end up as his meal. Uh, what was amazing about that story is that my perspective and God's perspective were very different. I was scared because I was going to have to go back down a pathway where I'd seen a bear Meanwhile, God is saying, yeah, see, I did that on purpose because if you'd have gotten on the boat, then you wouldn't have gone across those two guys who needed to hear about the gospel, and you wouldn't have had that encounter. So I'm going to send you that way, and you're not going to see the bear anymore, but you are going to go to that divine appointment that I have arranged for you. And and then hopefully you're going to be obedient and actually share the gospel, and, and that's what we did. So all that story to say even when things look from our perspective to be challenging or hopeless or terrifying God's perspective is different God is never surprised and he's never terrified he's always sovereignly in control And He's good. And He loves us. And He has things planned for us. If we'll open our eyes and get our eyes off of ourselves for just a moment and see that maybe God has something bigger in store. So, I didn't intend to spend that long on an introduction, but thankfully we have just three verses today, so I I feel like we're going to be okay. Let's turn our attention to God's Word and understand even in the midst of impending judgment of God's people, there is still hope. And we're going to see that today in God's Word. Here's what the Bible says, beginning in chapter 1 of Hosea, verse 10, and going just through the, verse, uh, the first verse of chapter 2. Yet, the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sand of the sea. And before I continue reading, I should probably give you just a verse of context to carry over from last week. The last thing God said to His people is, you're not my people and I'm not your God. That's hopeless sounding. Now back to today's text. Yet, the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place when it is said to them, you are not my people, it will be said to them, you are the sons of Israel. Of the living God. And the sons of Judah and the sons of Israel will be gathered together, and they will appoint for themselves one leader, and they will go up from the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brothers, Ami, and to your sisters, Ruhamah, If you recall, that's the exact opposite of their names from last week. We'll get into that in just a moment. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that this Word will be uh, made understandable to us because of your Holy Spirit. And I pray you speak to us very clearly and that we would be obedient to the things we learned today. And Lord, uh, in all things, help us to see that your Word is our authority, it's not my voice, it's not my opinion, it's not our thoughts, it is your word, and your word alone, that's our authority, so help us see that today, very clearly, in Jesus' name, amen. There is still hope. Just last week, the names of Hosea's children, who he already was told would be unfaithful, are... Jezreel, which is the place of bloodshed, Lo-Ruhamah, which means no compassion or no mercy, and then Lo-Ami, which means not my people. And then just in the course of a few lines of God's Word, now there's a command, Say to your brothers, Ami, which means my people. And Ruhamah, which means she has been given mercy or compassion. It's a complete reversal, it seems, of what was happening. So that opening narrative is now almost replaced by a message of hope. So there's three things here in these three verses that I want to point out to us so we can hopefully get some more clarity as this story develops in Hosea. Number one, God's promises are always kept. God is the original promise keeper. There was a movement among men, promise keepers, to try to be more Christ-like, to try to be men of your word and, and do what you, you say you're going to do and, and do those things according to God's word. Be a promise keeper. Well, God was the original promise keeper because His promises are always kept. There's two different uh, applications here I think that would be helpful for us. The first one comes from the Old Testament, from Genesis chapter 22. If you recall the story of Abraham... And Isaac. Do you recall that Abraham and Sarah were promised uh, a child, uh, a son who would uh, be the father of many nations, right? And and all the descendants would be blessed through him. And then all of a sudden they wait. They they they're disobedient along the way. But uh, finally this child is born, Abraham and Isaac, and uh, all things seem to be well. But then all of a sudden. God tells Abraham, oh, by the way, I need you to take that son of yours that you've been waiting on for so long. I need you to take him to the mountain I'm going to show you, and you need to sacrifice him to me. Now, that seems kind of odd, right? They've waited all that time. God's blessed them, and now all of a sudden, take the son that we've waited for for so long and sacrifice him. Well, Abraham was obedient. And if you just, I'm going to pick a couple of verses out of that narrative from Genesis 22 after, here's, a, here's a, a very important detail, after God told Abraham in Genesis 22, verse 2, take your son, your only son, who you love, Isaac, go to the land of Moriah, offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Well, you know, there's nothing between verse 2 and verse 3 that says Abraham sat down and had a little thought time to himself and really considered what God said. and said, Well, let me see if I like that command. Let me see if that makes sense to me before I actually do it. No. Verse 3 says, So Abraham rose early in the morning. And he gathered his supplies. He gathered some, some young men to help him. And he got his son Isaac. And he went on the journey. He, he was obedient. He didn't think about it. He didn't hesitate. Abraham just obeyed God's word. And so what happened? You know the story. And if you don't, you can go back and read Genesis chapter 22, the first 19 verses, and you'll see that just as Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son, the angel of the Lord called to him and said, Abraham, Abraham, don't stretch out your hand against the boy. Do nothing to him for now, I know that you fear God since you 've not withheld your son, your only son from me, and you realize what Abraham told his son right before that happened genesis twenty two and verse eight because Isaac was kind of hesitant, if you can imagine he 's looking around, hey Dad, I see you got the wood and you got everything you know the the, the fire and everything you need to make the sacrifice hey where 's the Uh, Where's the lamb? (laughs) Where's the sacrifice? Uh, And you you know what Abraham said? Verse 8, God will provide. God will provide the sacrifice. He'll provide the lamb, foreshadowing to his son. And he did. He provided because uh, after that happened, in verse 13, Abraham raised his eyes and looked. Behold, there was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And that was the sacrifice. Abraham was obedient. And that's really the point. So God promised to bless all the nations of the world through Abraham, and he kept his promise. In the New Testament, there's actually a quote from this prophecy of Hosea that Paul uses in Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, and verses 25 and 26, Paul actually uses this text from today, and he says, uh, As he says also in Hosea, I will call those who were not my people, my people, and her who was not beloved, Beloved. And it shall be in that place where it was said to them, You are not my people. There they shall be called sons of the living God. So that's a, a confirmation, if you will, uh, of the prophecy of Hosea coming true as Paul quotes this prophecy concerning the reconciling of Israel and Judah as the northern and southern kingdoms. So Paul's application there is to Christ being the Lord of both Jews and Gentiles. And so that consummation of God's promise to Abraham to bless the nations is then seen in the the restoring of those two uh, divided kingdoms into one, into God's people. Because God's promises are always kept. Number two, God's plans are always fulfilled. Look at verse 11. God's people are going to be reconciled into one kingdom. Israel and Judah will be brought back together. Jews and Gentiles will be saved by the same God. People from all nations are brought together through the church. You remember, if you remember, what happened in the book of Acts. The gospel always went to the Jews first. Always. And many of them rejected the message. Many of them did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And so after chap- chapter 10 and then, in verse, uh, and then in chapter 13 of Acts, the gospel then went to the Gentiles because uh, Peter and Paul and, and uh, others that were traveling with them, especially Paul and his missionary journeys, they actually told the Jewish people, if you judge yourselves unworthy of salvation, we're going to the Gentiles. We're taking this message to the whole world. And so Gentiles were now being saved when they thought they were excluded. And so God is the God of all, Jews and Gentiles. And this is a a plan that was a plan from the beginning that's being fulfilled. God's people also will have one leader. You see in verse 11? They will appoint for themselves one leader. Jesus came as the Messiah 2,000 years ago. And Jesus lives as the Lord now. Even... This is so ironic to me. Even John Calvin is quoted as saying when we believe the gospel, we choose Christ for our King by voluntary consent. The gospel comes to the whole world and we choose Christ to be our King. That's the purpose of the gospel going to the world, by the way. is is for us to embrace the gospel and choose Christ as our King. Jesus is going to come again as the King. So this... Prophecy here, they will appoint for themselves one leader. What do we sing in one way or another almost every Sunday? Jesus is Lord, right? There, there's we don't sing. We, there's no other name in that blank, right? No, that's even the name of a song. No other name but the name of Jesus from Acts chapter four. There's there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. We will have one leader, and then God's people are going to have a future. This symbolism, remember the first child was named Jezreel to symbolize that terrible place where all the bloodshed occurred. Jezreel for the people of Israel. Moses promised back in Deuteronomy, you want to see the continuity of Scripture? This is amazing to me. Moses, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, promised that repentance was going to renew the Lord's compassion for His people. Here, in Hosea, There's judgment coming, so it's a call to repentance for the people of God. And then over in Romans chapter 11 and verse 25, we get to see a picture of that repentance that happened that brought God's people back together, that brought back the Lord's compassion for His people. Paul foresaw the restoration of Israel in Romans 11, and he even quotes Isaiah chapter 59. He said, all Israel will be saved just as it is written. The Deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove uh, ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So from from the Law of Moses to the Minor Prophets all the way to the letter to the Roman Church, the Roman Christians, all these things are happening in God's Word because God's plans are always fulfilled. God doesn't have a plan that He just leaves out there and just, Oh, well... Uh, Just got bored with that, kind of uninterested now, so, you know, I'm just going to let that go. God doesn't work that way. You know, sometimes we can have a plan and get discouraged along the way and then decide we're going to just forsake that plan. We're not going to do what we planned to do originally. Maybe uh, circumstances change. You know, Mike Tyson was famous for uh, applying that principle to the boxing ring because he was talking about. In an interview, how people had a plan, how they were going to go against Mike Tyson. You know, he was so strong, had such a powerful punch. And he he said, "Yeah, well, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth." You know, that's kind of how it goes with us, right? Everybody's got a plan until something goes wrong, and then now all of a sudden, all right, well, maybe that plan wasn't so good after all. It's not working out like I thought it would. So God doesn't have that problem because God always keeps His promises. God always fulfills His plans. Number three, chapter 2 and verse 1. This is a, a, a great prophecy after that opening narrative because now God says, Say to your brothers, Amin. And to your sisters, Ruhama. That means He just got through saying, You're not my people. I'm not your God. Because of your sinfulness. But then, the hope that comes through repentance when we surrender and humble ourselves and seek forgiveness from God, now, He says, say to your brothers, My people, say to your sisters, mercy, compassion. That's what God desires to give His people. But it has to come through repentance. It's forgiveness is available, but it is not automatic. That is a a, a principle that we have got to embrace. God does, does not just forgive and you just get to keep doing whatever you're doing. That is not how it works. God is waiting, willing, anxious even, in human terms, to forgive. But there has to be repentance. There has to be confession. There has to be surrender. Humility, God, I, I, have, I have done wrong, I have dishonored you, please, please forgive me. And he will. So in, in a summary way, this passage, Hosea chapter 1 verse 10 through chapter 2 verse 1, shows a, a wonderful prophecy of Israel's future restoration where the effects of the Lord's judgment will be totally reversed. But don't miss the way it happened. Repentance. There's always repentance before there's forgiveness. Repentance, turning away, confession, I've, I've done wrong in your eyes, Lord, please forgive me. So the symbolism of the son's name is revealed, say to your brothers in reference to the son, not my people is now changed to my people. The symbolism of the daughter's name is revealed to your sisters in reference to the daughter. No mercy is now changed to mercy or she has received compassion. So, what does that look like? God's promises are always kept. God's plans are always fulfilled. And the third point is God's people are always delivered. God's people are always delivered. And they're delivered by way of repentance. See, when God brings His Word to His people, it's... Never a call for judgment apart from an opportunity to repent. Does that make sense? God's hand is just and right, but it's holy and loving and gracious and merciful. So God will always tell us about the judgment that is coming our way if we don't repent, right? There's always the opportunity. This this is what's going to happen unless you repent. You remember when we went through Jonah, one of the more well known minor prophets? Jonah had to preach to Nineveh and said, This is the, the Lord's judgment, his uh, thirty days and or three days and the and the city's gonna be overthrown. And what did they do? From the king down Everybody repented. Nobody's going to eat or drink anything until we all repent and turn to the Lord. And and what did God do? Okay. No judgment. That's why Jonah got so upset. because He he didn't like those folks and he was ready for them to get smacked. and, And they didn't. Because God forgave because they repented. God's people are always delivered. And it's true deliverance. It's not just taking away some challenges or changing the circumstances, it's true deliverance. Let me tell you what I mean in closing. I want to tell you a story of a gentleman named Thomas Hawker in England in the year 1555. He was a believer. This was just um, on the tail end of the Reformation of the church. Um, you, you might recognize, recognize names like uh, Martin Luther, uh, Zwingli, John Calvin, people who were involved in that reformation of the church who were alive during that time. Well, this, this gentleman was in England, Thomas Hawker, and he had been imprisoned because he would not recant his statement of faith in Christ he would not go against his uh, profession that I believe in Jesus and no one else and and that was his profession he his conviction he stayed with it and so he was in prison and there was another Christian man there in the cell next to him who was in prison for the same reason which that was the the norm at that time if you didn't fall in line with the uh, the Roman church that's what happened to you in many in many instances so they were having a conversation the night before that Thomas Hawker was going to be burned at the stake because of his faith in Christ that was the punishment because he wouldn't he wouldn't go back on his profession of faith so his His friend in the other cell said, Thomas, he lowered his voice so he wouldn't be heard by the guards, Thomas, I have to ask you this favor. I need to know if what the others say about the grace of God is true. So tomorrow, when they burn you at the stake, if the pain is tolerable, And your mind is still at peace. Would you lift your hands above your head? Do it right before you die. Thomas, I have to know. So Thomas Hawker whispered to his friend, I will. The next morning, Hawker was bound to the stake and the fire was lit. And the fire burned a long time. But Hawker remained motionless. His skin was burnt. His fingers were gone. Everyone watching supposed he was dead. Suddenly, miraculously, Hawker lifted his hands, still on fire, over his head. He reached them up to the living God And then, with great rejoicing, he clapped them together three times. The people watching broke into shouts of praise and applause. And his friend had his answer. I don't know that we will ever be able to Identify with a situation that drastic. But that is true deliverance. That is hope in the face of terrible persecution. And there is no way that's possible apart from Jesus Christ. Let's pray. (coughs) Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.